I have a hypothetical proposition for you. There's a company who is in need of a dishwasher stacker, and they're desperate to employ someone for the job. And in fact, they offer you the job with an annual salary of $20,000 for the year. Would you leave your current commitments from nine till five, Monday through Friday, to go and, and, and stack dishes for $20,000 a year? Now, even if for some reason uh, you did want to do that, my, my guess is after those uh, 40 hours a week for the first 10 weeks, is you'd be saying, it's so tedious. It, it, it's awful. I, I don't need this. I can't take it. I can't take it. I quit. Now, now why is that? Because the prospect of the future in the industry and the financial benefits on offer, it's just not worth staying because of what the future looks like. Now imagine you have the same offer to be stacking dishes. Same hours, same company, but they offered you an annual salary of $20 million a year. Would that change uh, your decision? Would, would you leave your current job to, to go and stack dishes for a year? And, and my guess is, even after those first 10 weeks of tedious, lonesome work, you would be singing while you were stacking dishes. You would be whistling and skipping along. And you certainly wouldn't leave the job. Now, why is that? It, it's because what we believe about this future, the pay packet of a lifetime to come, would radically change how we live and experience the present. And this isn't just a hypothetical proposition. There was a man named Viktor Frankl. He was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps in World War II. He was there for many years and endured these camps. And afterwards, when he got out, he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, listen to what he says. He recounts how hope for the future was this single most important factor in determining whether his fellow prisoners survived the concentration camps. He wrote, the prisoner who had lost faith in his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he let himself decline and become subjected to mental and physical decay. You see, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. And the way that we are living now is in many ways controlled by what we believe about the future. The goal and my prayer for our time together today is that as we look to the God's promises to his people about the future, that in the present right now, we would press on with an unshakable hope and unspeakable joy to keep following Jesus despite living in a broken world as we await the glory that is to come. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your word and the hope of the gospel. Lord, as we look ahead to what you have promised in the life to come, Please give us an unshakable hope and an unbelievable joy now in the present that we may live for your honour and glory. 
May your spirit be mightily at work among us now. Amen. Well, as we begin, uh, I thought I'd give you a quick overview of, of, of where we're going today. We've got uh, three R's for you to remember. Uh, firstly, we've got uh, a recap. Where are we uh, in this series and in, in the narrative of the scriptures? Uh, and secondly, uh, we'll be looking at uh, God's promise for a, a remade world. Uh, and finally, uh, we'll, we'll consider what are the repercussions uh, for us now. So if you're uh, a regular member of St. Matt's, you'll know that we've been doing a series sort of overviewing the whole narrative of the Bible, uh, particularly looking at some of the major covenants and promises that God has made to his people. Uh, if you're visiting today or, or are new to St. Matt's, uh, here's a summary, I think, of, of the message of the Bible. The Bible is about how the world was made and ruined, how it was uh, rescued through Jesus Christ, and how someday it is going to be remade into a new heaven and a new earth, into a perfected uh, kingdom. We really are going hard at those three R's. If you see, we've got three there again, ruined, rescued, and, and remade, but we'll press on. Uh, today, we'll be, we'll be majoring on the act and promise of God that is to come, that this world will be remade into a new heaven and a new earth, into a perfected kingdom. And to begin to grasp the beauty and, and, and the glory of this promise, uh, we're going to quickly look back and, and recap where we find ourselves in the biblical narrative, uh, what's already occurred and how that shapes what is to come. So uh, in the beginning, the world was made by God. Everything that he made was good. It was a world filled with life and light that comes from God himself. The Garden of Eden was a place where God was with his people, made in his image, and they were living under his rule in the place that he's created for them. Uh, that is, uh, God's people uh, living in God's place uh, under his rule. The Bible uh, presents a very good world without any pain or evil or suffering or death, uh, but a humanity that is in harmony with its creator. As, as we know, uh, humans decided to forego the goodness of God and his creation, uh, rebelling against his rule and living in his world our way. In doing so, uh, we broke our relationship with God and we ruined his good world. And when our relationship uh, with God fell apart, everything else fell apart. Our relationship, even with our true selves, fell apart. Adam and Eve uh, immediately began to experience fear and, and anxiety. Uh, their relationships with one another fell apart. Even their relationship with the physical world fell apart. And they began to experience aging and, and disease and, and, and sickness and death. You see, when, when humanity's relationship with God fell apart, all other things fell apart. And that is why uh, we have a longing for something that this world was never able to fulfill. Because the world has always been broken since we lost our relationship with our perfect creator. And so ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, we are left with a broken humanity, experiencing the consequences and the curse of sin. And I hope what you've seen in this series is that we get a glimpse 
uh, where we get a taste of God's desire and his plan to be with his people again. That he's gone out of his way to meet and make promises to restore his relationship with mankind. Uh, We've seen this in each of the covenants we've covered with uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, uh, with the people of Israel through the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, God doesn't desert his people, but promises to work to be in harmony with them again. Uh, These covenants all reach their fulfillment uh, in the person and work of Jesus. That ultimately, in light of the weight of our sin, there was only one possible solution. Through Jesus Christ, through his life and his death and his resurrection, God throws one lifeline to humanity. His great rescue plan that Jesus bore the full weight of God's wrath against sin on the cross, bearing sin and death and evil for all time. Uh, But as we know, uh, Jesus didn't stay down, uh, but he rose from the dead and has defeated sin and death and evil forever. Jesus wins. And and through his resurrection, uh, we literally have a living hope, hope of new life with a restored relationship with God without the curse of sin through the perfect work of Jesus. And as Ian's reminded us in these past two weeks, this is the beauty of the new covenant. That we can be assured of the forgiveness of sins. That if our faith is in Jesus, right now in the present tense, we stand before God holy and blameless completely forgiven that that now his his spirit is within us uh, transforming us and giving us new hearts slowly but surely we we have all of this now but there remains this sense of of not yet there remains a sense of, of what is to come paul put it this way in romans 8 he says creation itself including God's new covenant people, are longing for a time to come of liberation. Liberation from bondage and decay. Paul here is acknowledging that we still live in a broken world. That we continue to feel and live under the consequences of sin. That we can know that the world isn't the way it was designed to be. That the whole creation, in fact, uh, has been groaning. And I think we all palpably feel and see this in our day-to-day experience. I mean, let let me show you. I want you to have an answer to this question uh, just in your your minds. If we were to ask the question to everyone in this room, or or more than that, everyone in Canberra, or or go further, go, go Australia, and we were to ask this one question, what is wrong with the world? I think there are two answers that even if we asked all of those people, we would never hear. What do you think those two answers would be? Just in your minds, what do you you think those two answers would be? Uh, My first suggestion is we wouldn't hear ourselves. Uh, We we like to think that the problem is external, that someone else has fallen, that's why this world is broken. Uh, But the one that I kind of want to major on today, I think if you ask everyone in Australia, what is wrong with the world? I don't think anyone would say nothing. It's not anyone's experience that this world is perfect. 
everyone can see that there's something wrong with it, that it's not the way it was meant to be. And all we need to do is, is turn on the news, look, look into our own hearts and our own relationships, even our own bodies, to know that our world is broken. It is our day-to-day experience of varying degrees of pain and suffering and ultimately death. The curse of sin plagues our world. And it's in this context of the narrative of the scriptures and the sense of what we have now in Jesus, but the not yet, that we can look forward to God's covenant faithfulness. So we've, uh, we've seen how the world was made and ruined and how it was rescued through Jesus Christ and the promise of God to his church is that this world will be remade into a new heaven and a new earth. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, keep them open. We're going to be looking through Revelation 21 and 22 and I'm going to read from verses uh, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And so here, uh, John is given a vision an insight of what is to come, that this first earth will pass away. And he's shown a picture of a remade world, a renewed heaven. And all of this doesn't come from human efforts and attempts, but it comes down out of heaven, I take it a literal place, from God. He has prepared his redeemed church beautifully adorned as a bride dressed for her husband. Friends, uh, this is the ultimate redemption. This answers the big question that the Bible has been asking since that moment in Genesis. How, when, will a holy and righteous God again be in a perfect relationship with his people? Friends, here it is. God has beautifully prepared the church for Jesus. And the major emphasis here, I think, is on the intimacy of the relationship between God and man. Uh, Look, come with me to verse 3. I think it is the most beautiful verse in all of Scripture. But please, uh, hear these words. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the great goal. This is the hope of all of the covenants. God with us. We saw it most clearly uh, in Jesus, Emmanuel, quite literally, God with us. It was, as Hannah drew out so wonderfully, uh, foreshadowed in the Old Testament with the tabernacle and the temple. And here, it will finally and fully be achieved. We will be his people 
and, and he will be our God. This is the glory and the great blessing of heaven. It isn't as something as, as lowly as us being taken from the pain of this earth and, and just taken up into the clouds. It is unhindered fellowship that we will have with God himself. We will be forever satisfied in him as he gives life and light to his people and we live in his perfected kingdom. Uh, this image is enhanced at the start of, of chapter 22. Come with me to verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve cups of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Uh, John here is really, really intentionally uh, calling his audience's mind right back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Uh, he makes note of the water of life and of the tree of life. And it's a picture of a city where refreshment and life flow. Where does it come from? It comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It is an unending stream of blessings and joy that the tree of life will satisfy its residents eternally. There will be no one in need. And in this city, we will be satisfied year round. No poverty or hunger. It goes on in verse 4. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, this is uh, drawing back to the idea that Moses in, in his time on earth couldn't see the Lord's face and live. But now when the spirit has completed uh, the sanctification, uh, God's redeemed people will see his face. God will look upon his people with favor and delight and his name will be on their foreheads, marking them as his treasured people throughout all of history's uh, turmoils and trials. There will be no more night. The city will bask in its light from the God of radiant glory and truth. This really is the heart of the Christian message how God will be with his people. For the first time in all of human history, since right back in Genesis, God's perfected people are in his perfected place, living under his perfected rule. Uh, we've uh, briefly, uh, just briefly touched on some of the realities of, of this remade world. And I think uh, more than ever before, uh, preaching right now feels like an impossible task. You see, the, re the reality is that this new world is far more glorious than I can begin to communicate. Have you ever you know, had, had, a, tell, had a friend or, um, or someone tell you about how great an experience or, or an event would be, and, and you even believe that it would be good, uh, but then as you do it, you not only hear about it, but you actually see it, you experience it, 
and you were just completely taken away. Uh, It could be something like uh, seeing the fireworks in Sydney on New Year's Eve. You may have heard of it. You may have even seen it on TV. But one day if you go, man, you're just taken away. It it could be like that. Uh, I'm not that classy. Um, It's pretty trivial. uh, But but I have a favourite kebab shop. Absolutely extraordinary kebabs. I also have a friend uh, who, who likes kebabs. And I'd been telling him about how amazing this place was for months. Then eventually our schedules kind of aligned and he got to experience what I was telling him about. And after having uh, two bites of the kebab, he said to me, Wardy, I'd heard you talk about this place, but it's phenomenal. It's unbelievable. It's, it's better than what you had described. He was just taken away. And it's similar uh, to what's happening now. We can hear of this new covenant, this new world, this remade world, We can even be excited by it. But once we actually experience it, we will just be blown away. You see, I I, I cannot overstate it. God with his people. A complete restoration of creation. The world the way it was made to be. God's work throughout all of human history complete. Complete. It's glorious. It's beyond our deepest imagination. And as our fellowship with God is unhindered, as that's restored, everything else will be put right. Did you notice uh, what will not enter this new heaven or what will be no longer? It says in in verse 4 of uh, chapter 21 that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He is making all things new. And as he does this, he will rid his world of pain and suffering and evil. There will be no more aging or sickness or disease or death or natural disasters or relational breakdowns. Chapter 2 verse 3 puts it so clearly. It says, no longer will there be any curse. The curse, uh, the guilt, the suffering, the struggle, the sorrow, and, and ultimately the death that resulted from Adam's sin and humanity's rebellion against God, that our world, that ruined our world, will be completely overcome. It will be no more. All impurity. All evil will be removed from God's world as we live in his perfected kingdom. Friends, this is the promise of God to his church. The old order of things will pass away. He is making all things new. And he will remake our world into our perfected kingdom. We will bask in his glory forever. This remade world is coming. It is the promised future for all who follow Jesus. And as I come to a close, I want us to think back to the start of this talk, thinking about the prospect of being a dishwasher stacker and Viktor Frankl's reflections from the concentration camps. Does what we believe about the future change 
how we live and experience the present. Uh, We've just heard the promise of God about the future. Uh, There are are countless, many implications for what we do with this, you know, with time and money and so on. Uh, But I want to spend time uh, pressing into three, I think, really helpful repercussions for us now of the promise that is to come. So firstly, I want to encourage us all to take comfort in who God is. What, what picture do you have of God from today and from this series? I hope what you've seen is that he is a gracious, loving God who relentlessly, constantly reaches down into our broken world. That he is working all of human history in all of the covenants we've seen and ultimately at the expense of his own son. Why? To be in a relationship with his people. It's amazing. God longs to be with his people. He longs to be with you. That is his desire. That is his heart. And we can take comfort from who we meet in the God of the Bible. That he is a glorious, gracious God, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So let us take comfort in who God is. Uh, Secondly, uh, can I encourage us to get to know him now? If the true and and the great blessing of heaven is our fellowship with God, uh, my sense is uh, we should press on to experience that and be as satisfied as we can, as much as we possibly can here on earth. Through Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, now in the present tense, we can meet and be in fellowship with God now. So friends, walk with him, persevere in prayer, keep soaping even when life gets crazy. Press on to know God now and be satisfied in him. And finally, uh, can I encourage us that we can face this world. We, we can face the brokenness of this world with an unshakable hope and an unbelievable joy because of the sure promise of the gospel. You see, Jesus promises new life, re- resurrection life, a new body. The resurrection of Jesus means that no matter what happens to us now, It can only make you better. That when suffering uh, comes into your life, if you face it with hope, there's only uh, two possibilities. One, it'll make you a better person and and grow your dependence on Jesus. Or or two, it will kill you. And then it really will make you a better person. There was a preacher uh, in the 1950s in, in Philadelphia a man named uh, Donald Barnhouse, a fantastic preacher. He had a, he had a beautiful wife, uh, still pretty young, and, and they had a daughter of, of just uh, 10 years of age. And, and unfortunately, uh, his wife passed away when his daughter was only 10. And the preacher uh, wanted to help his daughter uh, process the grief of losing uh, her mother. And so one day they, they were walking across the street and a, and a truck kind of came screaming past and they weren't in any, any danger but it was enough to make the little girl scream. 
And, and so the preacher, uh, Donald Barnhouse, at this time thought this is the moment to um, help my daughter process our grief. So he, he asked his daughter, he said, uh, you know how we're really sad about mummy? She said, yeah. He asked, uh, did the truck hit you? She said, no, no. The preacher said, uh, the shadow of the truck hit you. And so he said to his daughter, death didn't hit your mum. Death hit Jesus. And the only thing that can hit us now in our time on earth is the shadow of death. But the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory. You see, if, if we believe, if we truly believe the resurrection of Jesus and his promise, we don't just have hope stored up for later. We have hope for now. I mean, if we think about uh, who Revelation is written to, John is writing to a bunch of people who are about to face years of severe suffering and persecution and death more than probably any of us in this room have faced or will face. And so in light of that, what, what hope, what, what counsel does John or, or God through his word give them? Friends, he gives them this. He reminds them of the promise of God to come, that death is not the end, that Jesus has won. Friends, we've seen in this series, God fulfill each and every one of his promises. It says in this passage in Revelation twice that these words are trustworthy and true. Because of who God is, we can be assured that this world will pass away. Jesus will rid this creation of sin and suffering and pain and death. It is but a fleeting moment. Jesus is making all things new. This world will be restored to the way it was made to be. We will be completely satisfied and filled with joy as we spend eternity basking in the presence of our King. It is coming. And in light of this hope, in light of what we believe about our future, we can press on now with an unshakable hope and unbelievable joy and face whatever is in front of us now in this broken world. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Let's pray. Our Father, we do praise you and thank you for who you are. We thank you that Jesus wins, that he has victory over sin and death forevermore. And as we look to the future, please help us to press on now with an unshakable hope and an unbelievable joy. And we pray this all for your name's sake. Amen.